Coming to you from Charm City, this is Anthony. And this is CC, and this is Lit. Pop. Bang. Hey, thanks for joining us for episode four. This is our poetry month episode. It is. We're April excited about that. April is the truest month. Yeah, April um, is the, the best month. It, it is. Both. <laughs> it's both. Um, so we have a great episode today. We have a very talented poet. We have Dora Malik here today with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode. So I'm going to read your bio and then I'm going to ask you to tell us about actual you. So Dora Malik is the author of four books of poetry, Say So and Sure Ordered Ocean, both available now, as well as Stet, due out later this year, and Flourish, set for a 2020 release. Her poems have appeared in The New Yorker, Poetry, Best American Poetry, American Letters and Commentary, Tin House, Poetry London, and more. She was received the Amy Clampett Residency Award, a Ruth Lilly Poetry Fellowship from the Poetry oh. Foundation, and several other awards. Dora teaches here at Johns Hopkins University, where we're recording today. Yes. She also serves as an associate editor of the Waywiser Press and is an advisory board member of Writers in Baltimore Schools. So that's the bio... Con- from the internet sort of thing. What can you tell us about you? What else do you want people to know when people ask you about you? What do I want people to know about me? Um, I have been here in Baltimore since 2014. Okay. Um, I am really excited to be here. You mentioned Writers in Baltimore Schools. Uh, I am excited about that. I'm working with that. I'm doing uh, some uh, community-based learning work here at Hopkins uh, with high school students and undergrads. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, that's what I'm excited. Oh, I just had a baby. Yeah. That's exciting yeah, that's too. So exciting. Oh, that is a girl or a boy. Uh, she is a girl. She's ten months old. Oh wow. Uh, um, and she's saying things very clearly that are not words. Yeah. Uh, like a buoy. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know what it means, but she says it very meaningfully to me. This sounds like it's going to end up in a poem. I'm I'm thinking maybe. I'm thinking maybe she might be writing better poems than I am. Just, <laughs> just, just in a different language that no one speaks. Yeah. That's like, cool. Brand new could... mom. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Fun stuff. And then you're from the region, this region originally too, right? Yeah. I grew up in Bethesda. So I lived from like when I was five years old uh, to when I went off to school here. So I'm kind of back home, which is rare for uh, academic folks, you know, not always, but, um, but yeah, I was sort of applying to jobs everywhere and I just mm. happened to end up in the one that was it's funny. like an hour drive from my mother and th- you know, 40 minutes from my sister and her kids. So yeah. that it's cool. Yeah. I'm really yeah. excited to be back in, back in this area. And before you were here in Baltimore, you were in Iowa. Yeah, or? I was, Iowa kind of became home base. I graduated from the writer's workshop there in 2005 and that became home base. Um, from which I went to, like, I taught in California for a oh, minute. Okay. I taught okay. in New Zealand for a minute. Wow. So I got, I got a ways away. Um, yeah. But, uh, but it just, it, it's like a very hospitable place to kind of be a writer. And, yeah. and, uh, and so, so yeah, so I stuck around there for like 11 years and then, and then came, came back home. Very nice. That's great. That's fantastic. Um, so we have a few questions. It's sort of conversational. We do. Um, do you want to start? Would you like me to? Sure. Um, I actually wanted to talk about something that you talked about earlier. So you were saying, uh, Baltimore writers in schools is the is the official yeah writers in Baltimore schools yeah. writers in Baltimore schools and I also saw that when you were in Iowa you had another community project so I'm very interested in your like uh, um, you know loyalty to community mm-hmm. and, and how you're interested in investing about where you're at at the time as a writer so how do you kind of um, you know what's your way of doing that every time you come to a new place or do you do that everywhere you go or is this you know what how, how much is 
investing in the community mean to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I think there are, there are a couple different answers to it. So a lot of it is working with young people. Um, and uh, I sometimes say I'm I'm just very childish, so I like to be around kids. You know, poets, like, like there's a good energy around young being people, around I young agree. people. I agree. Um, and so that, for me, it's not all like, oh, let me give this wonderful gift of literature. Some of it is just like, I want to have fun and be around young people. Um, and hopefully, you know. You don't get to do that at your university well, job. Do, but they're not that. It's different. They're, you know, they're, they're, a little, they're a little older. And uh, it's funny, actually, young, my, even my undergrads are very, very hesitant to read something they've just written out loud. Yeah, of and course. And my grad students, like, almost no way. And me, right. no way, too. I mean, it's not like I'm practicing what I preach. But high school students. <laughs> <laughs> and younger, they're they're re- they're, they're like open. much more open, and they, they want to share, and they'll they write do. something, a rough draft, and like put it out there. So that to me, that's that's good, good, brave energy. Um, yeah. But in terms of the community part of it, yeah, I like to in some way get to know where I live, and I also think mm. that um, I think that institutions like I mean, when I was at the University of Iowa, it was a public university, but even a private institution like Johns Hopkins. Um, that footprint in a community is not always a positive thing. Um, and I think in terms of Hopkins and Baltimore, particularly, you know, there's some rough history there. Um, and so in whatever way I can do a small part to make an institution do what it's supposed to do, which is be of the place that it exists, um, I want to do that. And I think poetry can be a great place for that to happen. That's amazing. Because all voices are, you know, all, all... well, all power dynamics are not equal. All voices should be equal. And so sure. in that sense, um, to have those voices kind of coming together on a, on a more common ground of writing and sharing poetry, to me, you know, can, can kind of make that institution feel a little bit more like it's maybe doing some work for the place that, for the place that it is. And that's what it should be doing. Yeah. I yeah. sure... I mean, well, I think so. Right. Yeah, I, think I, think so. So. I think so too. I think that's so. what institutions I, should be doing. Yeah. And I also think that, it, you know, if you actually go and look at like, what's the, the mandate of, of universities, mm. they do believe that, you know, that, that, that is what they're there to do. I just think it doesn't always translate that way. Right. Yeah. Right. And especially as universities get more and more corporate oriented. Yeah. Yes. Is, yeah. Can I say that? Is Can I say yeah. that I here? Think in so. I, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, well, if, I know. Am I going to get fired from my academic yeah. institution? I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> well, we're recording in my office. I mean, right. they might, there might be a knock at my door. Right, <laughs> right. It could be bugged. This office, this table could be bugged. It could be, you know, we got to watch it. I don't know. <laughs> that sort of connects to what I was saying. You were talking about like poetry being sort of the space where you can do that. We can gauge the community and, and, and pull it together. And so my first question actually was, oh. uh, and this can be that or can be whatever you think it is, but what do you love about poetry? What what is about poetry that brings you to it? So what I love about poetry, and I'm, I'm curious if both of you, you know, if you both feel similarly, um, I feel like there's something interesting about, I mean, just the idea of creating is, is exciting, but creating out of a medium that you use every day and is used on you every day and not always in positive ways, I think can feel really powerful and really exciting. So I guess what I mean, if that doesn't make sense, what I mean by that is like, Political language, advertising language, sure. bureaucratic language, Rhetoric, right. you know, your authorities language, whatever it is, it's coming at you. And to take that same medium and use it for something personal or communal, communal or strange or, or funny or powerful, you know, that to me, um, I like a lot of media. Like I like to draw, I like to paint, but nobody's really using drawing and painting to mm. like kind of 
push something at yeah. you in terms of, of a power dynamic every day, yeah. but with language, it is. So to take that back seems like a particular kind of powerful creativity. Hey. Yeah, that's wow. really interesting. What do, I, what do I think about it? Especially like we talk about poetry being sort of like a niche interest and not everyone knows that they like poetry. True. Um, but language, right? The, the, the building blocks of poetry, it, right. it is. It's every day, all day. Mm-hmm. Right, um, exactly. From. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I like what Dora's saying about, you know, using it, uh, can be particularly powerful mm-hmm. you know especially thinking about how language is used often to relegate people to spaces it's mm-hmm. often used in all kinds of uh pejorative or, or controlling ways you know and sort of taking back language i think is an interesting idea of what even thinking about your daughter saying her new little little words you yeah. know she's she's taking back language yeah. in her own way right she's creating something you know out of out of whatever it is that she knows you know i don't know what uh, ten month olds know exactly. It moment, but, I don't know either, yeah. but, but I, <laughs> you have to know. But you're no, the mom, but but you're. <laughs> oh oh lord oh lord. Uh, this is the beginning. My ignorance about yeah. about motherhood. Yeah. No no. <laughs> right. Um. But but yeah, absolutely. And she already gets that there's both pleasure there and power there. Like mm. it's fun to just say mm. these wild syllables, and it's also like it's the way you you get things, you communicate, you get someone's right. attention. And she, right. you're right, it, she's getting that already, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah, she's she's making sounds, and yeah. her mother's like, "Oh my god, what an amazing thing yeah. you're doing!" Until she starts cursing, until yeah. she starts exactly. using curse words, and it's like, "Don't say that one in front of grandma." You know what I mean? Yeah, Don't exactly. you know what I mean? There's all that exactly. you know, power and dynamic, and what words say you know yeah. uh, inspire certain things, and you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's always interesting to think about that. Yeah, and it bums me out a little bit because that I think the way that language is kind of used, like you're saying, to um, to like to, to subjugate or you know there's a sense or like you know exert power i think sometimes when people don't like poetry it's because they're used to language being used to like put put you in your play or kind of to oh. show you how smart you are or something like that mm. and yeah. and so then when they encounter this mysterious language they're like oh it's a test you know right. and, oh. and it's kind right. of sad to me because then it's not like the first response is you know for a lot of people is oh how weird and wonderful it's like, well, what are you trying, you know, are you trying to make me feel dumb? Is this a test? Mm, Am I supposed to get a hidden Mm. meaning? And so I think it can sometimes be hard to like say, ah, this is my pleasure in it. Don't you feel that too? When people haven't really had the opportunity always to tap into that. Um, So that's where like the teaching and the writing kind of overlap is like kind of hopefully tapping people back into that, you know, what they maybe did get pleasure in as kids or babies or, you know, whatever that maybe some of that fun got taken away with, with tests. Yeah, yeah, and everything. Yeah, that's why I, I tell my students the same thing. You know, yeah, I tell I mean, my students, poetry is just like Dr. Seuss. Yeah. You know what I mean? I will not eat these great green eggs and ham. I will not <laughs> eat them Sam I am. You know, I do that all the time. I'm like, this is just, it's the same thing. Like, don't, yeah. you know, hyper-analyze yeah. it or don't be intimidated by poetry. One of the things you're kind of talking about, about how it's being used on students and on people to sort of, you know, intimidate them or make them feel dumb. You know, that's yeah. important. Yeah, totally. I, I think of two things. I think of a, a Billy Collins poem. I think oh. it's the Introduction to Poetry. Oh, yeah. When he's talking about that, like, the undergrads want to tie it up tie and it shake it down. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Billy's always. Yeah. yeah. I don't love Billy Collins, but <laughs> I love that poem. Um, but Billy Collins, then, if you're out there and you'd love to come to Lip Pop Bang, <laughs> yeah, be happy to have you. We'll here. have you. My, <laughs> me my always. Op- my office is open. Me <laughs> always promoting. Like, you know, Billy, don't. We would love we to love have you. We love you. Um, and right. then the other thing I was thinking, uh, uh, Matthew Zapruder's new book, Why oh. Poetry, came out last year. And he talked, yeah. most of the books dedicated to this idea of people thinking like, um, how poetry is a trick or coded language mm. and being really in part like our K through 12 education teaching us like poetry is something you need to decode and mm. he s- says no that's that's a really bad way to approach poetry mm. and like 
Um, and so, way you know, I, I also teach creative writing to undergrads and um, try, you know, trying to convince them of that, especially in introduction, yeah, trying to I convince them like agree. this is not the best way to approach it. There's so right. many other ways that you yeah. can just enjoy it, whether it's right. the sound or the image. You can just really like see it and 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 let it wash over you right and in the playfulness yeah that's what that's yeah. what i love about poetry the playfulness of it yeah. you know being in the sandbox absolutely pulling out words learning what they mean or using them in a different way and you know that's the fun of poetry to me and if totally. you know if you can't identify with that then i'm just like you know i don't know yeah. to me it feels like fun but too many people yeah. it feels intimidating yeah. this segues well into my other question which oh, is good. something i think is often asked of 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 students right but i don't think it's asked of, of poets very much which mm. is what don't you love about poetry? What is it where poetry falls short or you wish you could change about poetry, either either as an idea or a craft or an institution or whatever? That is, you're right. You don't, don't get asked don't that question that much. Yeah. Um, even though I, sp- I spend a, like a lot of my days in some way sort of covertly cheerleading for poetry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because like, what other people don't like about it. You know, I think what I... Um, don't like about it sometimes and this is a little bit like inside baseball you know we were just talking about right. how it gets uh you know taught to, to kids so this is sort of in a, in a different realm maybe more the university realm um uh i don't like how it is thought to faction out like you're a formalist or you're experimental oh. or this or that or you're political or you're you know, and and in that sense like i don't know i hope we're all like political and formal and experimental and Mm. like there's all these different ways in which I think those boundaries both should be and are more blurred than that um but for me I think that kind of uh you know gets gets to me a little bit is is that sense of like there are some publications that feel like they're speaking to this narrow audience uh in in one way or another or I don't know, you know, the sense of, oh, this MFA program, this is this is for this sort of subset or that subset. So anyhow, I mean, that's kind of like a, a geeky issue with <laughs> yeah. poetry. And it's yeah. not an issue, certainly, with, like, the poems themselves. Because I think the poems themselves are smarter than that. It's only when we start talking mm. about it or selling it or, you know, all these other right. things. Right. And I think that's what I was going to ask you, devil's advocate. Being devil's advocate, I, I hear what you're saying about the fracturing of the genre, mm-hmm. of the the there's the big umbrella of poetry and then there are the genres underneath yeah. it, you know, kind of thing. But I also think, uh, if I would be devil's advocate, because I believe like you do not get mm. very irritated when people try to box me. Yeah. But at the same time, I realize, I guess on the outward, on the outside that people need the boxes in order to maybe identify or know who they w- would gravitate towards is is what of you know what I mean again I don't like it I don't like boxing mm-hmm. but I really do think that it goes more towards what you're saying about selling right when yeah. you think about music music genres hip hop R&B you know jazz whatever people know what area to go to to find what they like right yeah. so in your your version of like experimental formalist this you know people know what mm-hmm. genre to go to to get something that they like so I mean although I agree with you I think I don't know. I guess sometimes genres are supposed to be helpful or the fracturing of, of poetry is supposed to be. But I know what you mean. Yeah. I'm with it. No, and and I, I hear you. And I mean, there's the practical stuff where it's literally like, where are you going to put it on a bookshelf? You know, like if right. I want to find a book of <laughs> fiction, like let's have a section so I can find it. So no, I mean, there's practical things and it's not like, oh, let's just put all the books in a pile and swim around in them or something. I don't right. know. I don't know who, if, people do that but, but uh, <laughs> I love that image yeah I love that image yeah, yeah. Scrooge McDuck of exactly. poetry exactly like, right. oh. 
I'm all over it. Um, but but no, and I think that's partly so. In the past like three years, before that, I never really wrote much mm. that was critical. Um, but uh, not critical like negative, but critical like prose about poetry. Right. And at a certain point, I, I started blogging for the Kenyan Review, and right. I, and I yeah. kind of got really into it. And this sense of you know, if I'm complaining about the kind of way that people talk about poetry, I kind of need to talk about poetry in a public way, you know. And mm, and yeah. so, um, in that sense. I think, well, I'm not always saying, oh, this is, I'm not like redefining genres or defining yeah. genres. There's this sense that, yeah, we do need people talking about poetry, I think. Um, and if you, you know, if someone like me has an issue with it, then you kind of got to join that conversation, which can be a little bit scary because then I'm on the side where people can say, I don't like how you're talking about it. Right. Um, right. It can be yeah. intimate. Yeah, that's, yeah. I like that. But you need to talk about, about poetry in a more public way, in a more, um, Communi- not communicative, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to say dumbed down, but that's a phrase that's coming to my mind. But in a in a less um, high intellectual sort of way, yeah. I think that's really I think that's really important because we do need other people other than poets talking and thinking about poetry. You know what I yeah. mean? And the way to do that is to ha- perhaps to blog, but to blog not in this sort of uh, distant sort of way, but in a more mm-hmm. um, you know, close and I don't know. Yeah, to um, feel like you're actually having a conversation, maybe. Yes. Know? Yeah, and I think you do that in your in your blogs. I've been like I was telling oh, you when I came in. I've been reading I've been reading your blogs about uh, Terrence Hayes' sonnets, and so yeah. I've been enjoying that. I've been um, I'm like Dora's so smart about these sonnets. No. <laughs> That's what I say. That. <laughs> I'm like she should teach. I want to go to her class so oh, she can teach me all about sonnets. Thank right? you, but yeah. yeah, but and that's so cool. And then I actually I like just the real life part of it, where then it's like I meet you, and now we kind of ha- you know we have this conversation that we're right. already kind of having in a way. And I can right. think of people where I read their work and I think, oh, I, I feel almost like an intimacy already, you know, mm. um, when I, when I read what they have to say, but it's like a little glimpse into somebody's mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also think about the, the categorizing, there's also often a racialized element to it too. Like, uh, Patricia Smith has talked about how yes. she's won all these awards. She has many books out. She teaches in the institution and people, and still, people still refer to her as a spoken yes, word poet. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, how much of that is that I'm a black woman, right? Yeah. How much right. that is... This is how you categorize me. Race and gender. Yeah. Again, it's about language being, you know, being used to box as opposed to let people, give people more access. Yeah. And then on the other side of things, uh, Kathy, Kathy Parkong. Yeah. 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 She has a couple pieces where she writes about how uh, hybrid or experimental work is something we exclusively call like white experimental work generally so I, yeah. yeah I give I give my students her essay that came out in Lana Turner Delusions of yeah. Whiteness in the Avant-Garde oh, yeah, right. which is to- I think it, it it really articulates that that issue where it, it's and working with young young people too I mean oftentimes there is this push I think and I think it's positive to say like write about your your life but I think you know I, I, I remember you know there, there have been young people who I worked with where it's sort of like okay I'm a I'm a young, I'm a young black man in Baltimore. Why do you think I automatically want to write about being a young black man in Baltimore? Right, right. Why can't I write about spaceships? Sure. You know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Totally. Um, and I think it was reading something about children's literature too, where it's like, okay, here's you know, a, a, why does why does a black protagonist have to you know learn about Harriet Tubman? Right. Um, we right. should all learn about Harriet Tubman. Right. Like it's not you know little white kids <laughs> right. should learn about Harriet they Tubman. Should. Right. So. Um, 
So no, I compl- I'm I'm getting on a soapbox now, but I think it sounds <laughs> like we're, I love it. I think it sounds like we're all on the same soapbox. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I found it really interesting. Uh, for a semester, I taught an HBCU in the area, and one thing those students really taught me was that um, at the college level, the students I engaged with were tired of reading slave and redemption narratives. Mm. I mean, who's they, not? Yeah, they've just read I'm it. tired of seeing it's slave what, and slave yeah. slave movies. Yeah. But You're just not, uh, to be for people to say, oh. It's mostly black students. You want to read this, right? Right. And and right. what I learned is they, my the students I worked with, want to read literature by black writers and poets, and they don't want to that have to be about slave or right. post-slave America, right? Yeah. right? They so want to read black sci-fi, right? right. They want to read well, here, read um, Octavia Butler, right. read like Tracy K. Smith, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think Black Panther is so interesting. Yeah, the, I mean, we don't have to go down that road. We 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 did this already last <laughs> last podcast, the the Black Panther episode. Black Panther still yeah. sticking to us. It is. It's yeah. like you know, <laughs> yeah. So coin. No, you yeah. need uh, like a hyperlink or so, like refer yeah. back to right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Refer to our previous yeah. podcast. We can do that here at Lip Hop Bang. Yeah. Um, I had one more question, but did you want to? I did have one, but it's not related. It's a a bad segue. Maybe you should. Maybe you should. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, mine was actually mine was about your poetry specifically, and I your poetry seems um, seems much more interested in sound and wordplay than a lot of other contemporary poets. That's my reading of it, and I was wondering. I wonder if you teach that sort of sound-centered mm. focus in poetry when you when you teach poetry as well. So I de- I definitely can think of kindred spirits. Like if so, you know, if someone said to me, "Oh, I, you know, you're you're doing something that other people aren't." It's like here's here's Hannah Park, here's yeah. Heather McHugh. You know, like there's lots of people, and I definitely gravitate toward poets who who are doing something similar in terms of like a very dense. Uh, sonic uh element but in terms of my teaching i think i try to be careful to not kind of indoctrinate students like i don't <laughs> yeah yeah great word. <laughs> um, great word and i know i mean you know i'll sometimes be kind of self-conscious about you know where there will be some amazing moment of wordplay and i'm like i love this and i'm like of course i love this <laughs> you know i love this like you know obviously right but um but in my own reading, I'll kind of push myself to be reading, I don't know, you know, Elizabeth Bishop. or somebody, I'm trying to think of somebody where there's like a really strong narrative and imagistic uh, right. yeah, kind of push there. Works, yeah. And to me, I, I sometimes say like that keeps me honest because I could just like run away on sound forever and never. never come back to logic or sense or anything like that. But it would just be me talking to myself at a certain, <laughs> you know, or like the yeah, two other yeah. people where they, they want that so much. Right. So I try to kind of keep myself honest in my own teaching. I think I wouldn't want somebody... Um, you know, when I was a student, and I know, you know, this did happen where I could feel that they were dismissive of mm. what my passion was yeah. um, in terms of that that sound element, and so I don't want to be dismissive dismissive of someone else's passion. Um, so I kind of kind of try to make sure that I'm both exposing myself to all different kinds of poetry sure. and also enabling students to be writing on their own terms. You know, maybe they're super yeah. excited about argument or narrative or whatever it is uh, that's that's pushing them um, but it's definitely you're to- you're not wrong at all that is like my kind of primary uh engine for me that kind of gets me I- excited about about reading and writing yeah 
Yeah, it's, I mean, to be honest, it's one thing that I really love about your work is Thank that you. sound thing. It's yeah, I find myself really similarly interested to those sorts of things in poetry as well. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask something about the love poem, but also I want to make sure I get this one question in. I wanted to make sure. So your book is it your first book? Short order or Ocean is your first book? Yeah, that's right. Okay, and you published it with Waywiser Press in the UK. Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. but they have, but they also have a U a US faction or yes, that's exactly. They have their sort of US office one could say but but it's really the amazing poet joe harrison who who she's she's the one man office here, okay, so, okay. Yes. so what i wanted to ask you so i don't know if you know you and i have this in common my first book was also published in the uk in hull and wrecking ball press so i just wanted to ask you what your experience was publishing with the uk press as opposed to publishing here in the united states if it's anything different or what you you know anything of that nature that you wanted to talk about yeah, um, uh, the the editor Phil Hoy uh, uses uh, way fewer exclamation marks than most Americans I know. Uh, so okay. I, had, I had to tone I had to tone down my email rhetoric oh. when I was talking. I was like, "Wow, this this guy." And my colleague Andrew Motion, um, yeah, who's yeah. amazing and wonderful poet, um, who's ex poet laureate of the UK. Yeah. Um, I just saw him use an exclamation mark in an email the other day, and I thought, "Oh, he's getting Americanized. You know? <laughs> he's letting loose." Uh, so, so no, I mean that's that's mostly indulging joking. the inner um, Whitman. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> next will be no capitalization, right. no punctuation. Exactly. Get crazy. Uh, we won't recognize him. Get wild. <laughs> Uh, no, he's 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 so wonderful. Yeah. But in terms of of the UK, I mean, I think for me it was just really exciting to sort of realize that there's a whole other readership that I could there, be speaking to yes. there. And I ended up kind of saving my pennies and going and doing some readings in the UK, and that was was I also really. Did, that. did you do? Yes, that? I did. Yeah. Did you find any differences? Um, for me, it felt. Um, I felt okay. Let me. This is going to be bad. So first of all, I felt that uh, the readers and the people who are attending my readings felt much more literate to me Mm. than than U.S. readers and uh, participants of poetry readings. I felt that I could talk with them about poetry, even not just my poetry, but poetry in large, you know? Mm. So um, that was interesting to me. And also I think my experience of being over there in the U.K. was very uh, warm and very, I felt very welcoming. People always say the Brits are very cold and buttoned up you know I did not find that at all I found people opening up their homes to me people wanting to sit down and have dinner and talk poetry with me and you know take me to their local that's what they call their local bar you know what I mean and talk poetry it was it it was quite I I must say it was my first it's my first book and it was a a kind of Cinderella sort of experience Mm -hmm. I felt like it was just it was really lovely I mean I and I I traveled for my first book many people don't Mm -hmm. don't even do a little tour for their first book here in in the United States if they come out on another press so for me it was really um, it was a lovely experience and I felt like um, the way that it happened for me was kind of an odd situation I don't know how you ended up uh, going with Waywiser Press but maybe you could say something about that or how or did you did you so I submitted to the Anthony Hecht Prize oh, contest. Okay. Um, I, you know, both of my books, my first two books, were published through contests that I didn't win. Um, and my 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 <laughs> oh, most my most uh, okay. my most memorable this. panel at the AWP conference, which is like the big writing yeah, conference, yeah. was a panel that I was on, which was about publishing through contests. Uh, and Sandra Beasley, who's wonderful, she's based in DC. DC yeah. She was on as somebody who won contests, and I was on as someone who Ooh. didn't win contests. <laughs> and I think that I think the gist of it was supposed to be like I turned out okay, you know. <laughs> 
Like they wouldn't have had me on a fun, not win contest and was really sad still, right. you know, but, right. but it was like, there's life after not winning contests. So, but right. no, both of the contests, it was, I submitted to the Anthony Hecht Prize with Wayweiser and the contest through the Cleveland State University Poetry Center multiple years. And it actually was kind of touching because it meant that the editors were seeing my manuscript getting excited about it. And just because the final judge didn't pick it didn't right. mean they weren't still excited about it. And exactly. so at a certain point in both these presses, they reached out and said, we still, you know, we want to publish your book um, that we've seen through this contest, uh, even though it wasn't that final winner. Fantastic. So that, that was how it ended up happening. Wow. Really there it cool. is. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good, that is a good story. I feel <laughs> yeah. like, you know, of, yeah, yeah. Of winning the game, even not winning necessarily, but still winning. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that's a, that's a great inspiring. I feel like story for many, many poets who are uh, submitting their, their manuscripts. Yeah. And it meant that I felt sort of uh, this connection with the editors themselves, not like the editors, you know, don't like the manuscript the final judge picks, but it, it was really cool to actually know, okay, people are there, human beings are there reading reading these manuscripts that come in. Yeah, yeah real human beings. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's it for the lit portion of the podcast. Catch us after music for pop. All right, let's talk about pop culture. You had something you wanted to start with today? Sure, sure. I can be the one who's starting because the other one is kind of political, maybe a little bit. The other, or, yeah, yeah, a little bit. We're gonna e- talk everything about can be. I think yours is too, right? No, not re- I mean, I guess it is a little political. <laughs> anyway, it's about Bruno Mars. Uh, apparently, I think last week, there's a woman, her name was Saren Sensi, and she was recorded uh, talking about how Bruno Mars is appropriating black culture. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of black celebrities kind of, or black Twitter, I don't know what black, I don't know if I'm in black Twitter. I hope I'm in black Twitter. I'm black and I'm on Twitter. I don't know. I also wish, I hope that I'm in gay Twitter. I know like, oh, gay? I, is there I'm a gay adjacent- Twitter? Oh yeah, there's a gay Twitter. There's, really? It's the same way that black Twitter operates. It's like sort of like thought leaders around which this conversation is sort of focused yeah huh. yeah so are we in or out do we i know? don't know i'm adjacent to it maybe you're hood adjacent that, i love <laughs> i love that i love that show hood adjacent maybe i'm black adjacent no i want to be anyway it doesn't matter black celebrities from black twitter kind of came to defend bruno mars yeah. so i'm interested in thinking or talking about um you know i mean as as pop musicians go it's always you know people said this about uh george michael i'm old that shows my age mm-hmm. but anyway but you know about he w- shouldn't win r&b you know awards at the Grammys or shouldn't be nominated you know and it's kind of about like who guards who guards culture is really what Mm, I'm interested in and and why you know and Bruno Mars oh I should add for our listeners who don't know Bruno Mars is half Filipino and half Jewish and Puerto Rican so those are his ethnicities so I think that's interesting too talking about the fact that he comes from a lot of minority I don't like that word either but you know ethnicities but yet he's still being um, chastised for, you know, appropriating black yeah. culture. Yeah, he's a multiracial person of color, but he's not black. Right, but he's not, right, right. I'd be interested, sort of, I I've kind of followed this conversation, but didn't hear the details of it. I'd be interested to hear how she thinks he's appropriating it, just by, by doing it, right? Like, what is, what, where is the line of cultural appropriation? Is any non-black person rapping Performing hip hop. Well, I'll read you. Uh, I can read yeah, you the, yeah, the, the, quote, the, yeah. the quote here. She says, "Bruno yeah. Mars is 100% a cultural appropriator. He is not black, comma at all, and he plays up his racial ambiguity to cross genres." That's her actual quote mm-hmm. that she said. I mean, it, it, sticky. Yeah, right? it is. I mean, uh, cultural appropriation obviously is a thing, right? But is it just a person outside of the sort of right. home culture? engaging with that cultural moment or, That's what I'm or, or in. music or right. art um, or is it 
you know, like a lot of people say, is it doing it without fully acknowledging the origins and roots yeah. of that art and the culture from which it arises? Right. And and is it is it white people that oh, well now it's apparently brown people that can give, mm-hmm. you know that I mean I don't know like who who police who who who's at the get boundaries who's at the guidelines who's at the fence right if we're talking about borders God forbid Trump all this you know all this stuff we're thinking, who who polices the borders is really what I'm interested yeah. in you know what I mean like if I if I eat brie am I appropriating white people I don't know yeah. I mean <laughs> well, I love brie I love brie and I think with that with the, with the eating brie question I mean I think someone would say well that there's a power dynamic you know that like the that you have not oppressed the culture oh, okay. uh, you know the, have okay. not oppressed the people who brought brie, brie to you right um, and in that sense so that question of oppression which I think that's where the Bruno Mars situation makes it really complicated like I would love to hear the person who made that initial tweet and maybe it's out there or someone who agrees with it articulate what like responsible homage or stewardship or sampling would look like to them like if there is such a thing right is there yeah is there right is there yeah you know I it's interesting uh, an interesting like cultural appropriation moment that really caught me off guard were people calling um Who's the, who are the late night hosts who do the lip syncing competition? That's James. Is that James Cordell? No, that's not. Uh, that's uh, I. I there's a the whole show. Is that yes. James Corden? I think he did. Oh yeah. no, no, you're talking about the car karaoke. The car karaoke. Yeah. What? No, no, no. That. There's that's what like the stage like lip sync battles. I know. Oh, LL Cool J and lip sync. Uh, Jimmy Fallon does it, but there's also yeah. like a show now. I don't watch it. I, yeah. We're anyway, old. Uh, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't stay up that late <laughs> yeah. anymore. And anyway, people are talking battle. about how like lip sync competitions and public lip syncing events are really a nod to drag culture and so for someone oh, like Jimmy Fallon to be doing it is appropriation that's of interesting. like urban queer culture and from which you know like drag performances have risen interesting um, but I don't know like again what is it is is it like you said is it Someone have to give you permission? Can you just right. not do it if you're outside of that culture? Is there appropriate... Yeah. Like, you're saying, mm-hmm. what is appropriate sort of nod well, at, to the culture look like? Well, you also know that Nene from um, the Atlanta Housewives has often gotten... We use this word in a bad way. It has gotten dragged for using um, gay language on the show a lot of times. So she's, mm-hmm. you know, use... She talks in a very slang way that appropriates... I And I would say particularly femme, quote-unquote... Uh, gay language, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. And so she's been often dragged for doing that. And so, so that's interesting too. She's a black female, right? She's she's using gay language. Like who can only gay? I don't even know men or women. You, I mean, she's straight. You know what I mean? She's man, yeah. whatever. But I mean, you know, it's interesting to think about who polices the boundaries, who decides who can do what. I mean, I was never here for Miley Cyrus twerking. I'm just going to say that. Never, ever. No. Never, I mean, that that to me was like clear. That to me feels like clear appropriation. I mean, first of all, Miley Cyrus didn't even have an ass. I mean, I don't even, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, so twerking requires having an ass, you know? <laughs> I mean, if, I might not even have enough to do, to do it. So, I mean, you know, but uh, so that feels like to me particular kind of appropriating black culture. I felt strongly about that yeah. one but a, a lot of these other instances to me are very you know nebulous it's nebulous for sure um i think also about like when you think about intersectional identity like right. who has a right to certain culture like right. rap in the united states clearly goes right. back to a specific place you can track its lineage to a right. specific place right. right and that is working class black new york city right, right? um so does that mean it's exclusively black, right? Um, or the hip hop is exclusively black. Yeah, hip hop and rap, right? Or it's looked, it's, it's it sure 
it's right. certainly it's unquestionably that way. It's certainly unquestionably has black origins, right? Right. But also has working class origins. So it what does. does that mean for um, like the upper middle class? Right. Black American who who wants to who who can afford to break into rap. Well, right? I'm always asking my students about Jay Z. You know what I mean? Rapping yeah. about being the hood. Jay Z don't live in the hood no more. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, Jay Z's rap also doesn't talk about the hood anymore. Like the latest album, he's talking about the, like the, why you should invest yeah, yeah, and art, buy fine art. art on yeah. your wall. You're right. You're right. But that's that's new. That's really 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 yeah, really yeah. new. Jay Z. Jay Z for a long while has not lived in yeah. in Bed Stuy, Brooklyn. Has has moved out. Yeah. Married Beyonce lives in. Beverly Hills somewhere, you know what I mean? And my students still feel like Jay-Z is really authentically black. It's interesting to me that you can you can you can have an identity and hold on to it, you know, like forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, you guys, you know, and or Eminem. Eminem is another instance to look at hip hop and how it what is it appropriated? I don't yeah, know. I think Eminem's know? a really good case study because he, he is, is very white. Is. Um but they're also very working class. And Detroit, it, Michigan it really, is very yeah, and it is the culture in which he was raised. It is right. right. He's not so crossing it's cultures. Right? right, it's authentic. Yeah, uh, so it's a really interesting. It goes in that nebulous spot. Is he is he appropriating, or does right. he have every right to music he grew up with? And even my students, even if even if its origins are, are unquestionably black. Right, and I use this to talk about the boundaries of race, gender, all the time in my yeah. classroom. Just to, just so we can have this conversation. You know what I mean? My students say, "Oh, you know, we don't like we don't like Drake. Drake's Canadian." You know what? And I'm just like, wow. I'm like, Drake can't even make the. He, you yeah. know, it's like it's like the oppression Olympics just keeps getting you know, further and higher. I'm like, Drake, Drake doesn't count because he's Canadian. He can't. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? They don't, they don't, they don't like him as much as they like Young Jeezy as much as they. Yeah. They just think there's an authenticity that happens that I don't think has to be particularly American, right? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I mean, um, I don't know. You know, it just really gets to the heart of like how the identity is constructed and who guards it. And that's, um, this is a great essay. I think it's by, I think it's Edward Said is who can write as the other. I think it's the name, name of the essay that I love. It really Mm -hmm. talks about, um, what, which writers can write, um, from what, from what locations, locales, right. You know what I mean? And so I'm interested in that, that idea and talking about that. And this goes along with, with pop culture appropriation too. I mean, who, who determines, who is in and who determines whether I'm in black Twitter or you're in gay Twitter? Or yeah. I don't know. Who polices? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, it's like being a feminist. You know, how, how feminist are you? You know what I mean? You know, yeah. or what, you know, it's interesting to think Especially about. Especially with how, how wide feminism is, right? Like, well, or should be. I mean, just how many different perspectives are called feminists, right? Right. And, and if we have a purity test for that, you're going yeah. to fail. Uh, in some of those silos, and you're going to succeed in some of the other silos. Right. And and this, I don't. I'm afraid this is like what aboutism, you know. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but but there's a, there's a sense in which it's like, uh, in a way, like-minded people kind of tearing themselves apart sometimes. Yeah, you know, where absolutely. it's like I'm going to pick at. I'm going to pick at these people who are basically kind of agreeing with me in certain ways, and then meanwhile, like the Koch brothers own everybody and every. You know, are kind of making the money <laughs> yeah. off of all these kind of battles in pop culture wherever else behind yeah. the scene not literally the, the coke words, but you know what i mean it's right. and so but then when i say that i'm like oh so i'm does that sound like i'm saying it's not important to consider appropriation absolutely yeah. not it's definitely important but the way in which it's playing out among 
individuals kind of I think takes the eye off of like the systemic stuff sometimes mm. I don't I don't know that's interesting right right you're right you're saying go bigger go yeah not don't go don't, don't go micro go macro yeah that's kind of what you're saying yeah no and I get to like the you want to avoid what about ism right it's right. it's a serious consideration but you don't want to yeah pull away from the as, and as if you worthwhile can't, conversation yeah as yeah. if you can't as if we can't have a conversation about systemic issues and like the nuances of you know performing identity of course we can have both those conversations but it does sometimes seem like i mean i'll find myself going down the rabbit hole of like pop culture twitter sort of beef back and forth and realizing part of it is become escapism it's not actually thinking about the issues anymore it's like ooh, what did they say oh ouch burn you know <laughs> uh, clap back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah it's just like everyone's clapping back yeah you know what I mean? and i'm like this isn't me like thinking about issues anymore this is me like going back to high school you mm. know yeah so i don't know if mm. there's a way to have these conversations in a way that can keep them like relevant and meaningful yeah they're not voyeurism they're not performative or or a way to have these conversations to let bruno mars be the starting point to have a bigger deeper conversation about appropriation you know what i I mean i would love if twitter was that right if it opened the thing up instead of closing it down exactly you know what i mean more people appropriating more you know i i don't i don't personally have time to do a lot of uh, i don't know policing the boundaries i don't you know i don't I don't know. For me, it seems uh, a waste of time. It seems like I have more bigger battles to fight, you know, rather than Bruno Mars sliding across stage like James yeah. Brown. I don't care. I don't give a shit. <laughs> do you like Do you like Bruno Mars? I do. I do. <laughs> I, I think he, I think he's cool. I think he's one of the most. To me, I mean, I don't know much about him. I don't own his album or anything like that. But I feel like he's one of the most younger, innovative people I've seen in a long time um, come across pop culture. So I think we should be hailing him because he seems inventive. He seems. Um, smart and fun and I mean you know I mean when I say smart I mean like you know he's not I don't know he's not he feels um, like the good all the good things that pop culture could be doing right is what he feels like to me so I don't have a problem with him you know I don't feel like he's but he's also brown to me I mean if you're any kind of brown you could be I don't know any kind of beige you could be you're in the category to me you know I don't I don't need you to be I don't need you to be you know coffee colored I don't need yeah. you know whatever it doesn't matter to me but um, people seem a little mad about it yeah. you know what I mean I, I, I have bigger issues with other things and I'm not but Bruno Mars to me feels very uh, for this time period feels very inventive and fun and I, and I I like that, that he's making music fun again. You know what I mean? We're getting back to that some yeah. kind of way. I don't know. Yeah, Do you like Bruno Mars? Meh, you're there. Yeah. I don't listen to a lot of pop music, but I enjoy his music. Yeah. Whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't totally. buy him, but I mean, yeah. like, when I still hear him. No I'm one like, buys music anymore. Well, right. That's true. That's true. Uh, right. Everybody, right. Everybody. But I'm just saying, you know, I mean, some people do buy, even on iTunes, yeah. people buy. So I don't buy. I, okay. Yeah. I do. I do right. buy music on iTunes. Mostly for oh, like, you do? ringtones and alarms and stuff. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Ringtones and alarms. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. it's a really complicated conversation. Uh, if any of that sounded weird to any of you, feel free to hit us on email. Or on social media and tell us. Tell us what you think. Um, send us links to stuff you want us to read. All that. We still haven't constructed our email. Can we tell the listeners that? Maybe we yeah. should cut that. We haven't done that yet. We'll do it. It's yeah. going to be lip hop. It'll, it, it'll be in the show notes. It will be. It'll be in the show notes. And yes. if not, you can find us on Twitter at, at Lip Hop Bang. Right. Yeah. Great. Um, speaking of social media, though, the thing I want to talk about good, for pop good culture segue. is... Yeah, Look at good. you. I, I pretty, saw it coming. Pretty amazing. Cloud bubble. <laughs> saw it coming in the distance. <laughs> um, Facebook, right? Yeah. So it, most of you have probably heard this by now, but Facebook's in a lot of, lot of hot water right now because um, they sort of permitted a third-party company to scrape the data of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of users. Um, basically, by, by from what I understand, by 
certain people would opt in to letting them sort of have their data. Um, oh. But then everyone else um, who was friends with those people, all of oh, the public-facing information wow. that your friends can see, they scrape that too. From, so for many of us who would never opt in to allowing right. Cambridge Analytica as a third party, never opt in to letting them have our data, they still scraped our data. And what they did was they built profiles, these political profiles that said what issues you care about, what issues you're most likely to flip-flop on, and based on that data, who are the people most susceptible to political advertisements, and who are the people most likely to not vote for one party. Who, you know, there's, there's certain people who are always going to vote R, always vote D, always vote third party. Right. But there are some people who they sort of scraped and put together and predicted um, these people might be turned one way or another. This and they so targeted scary. those people so with specific ads based on those users' behaviors. And it may have had a significant effect on, effect the, on the election. On the election. Yeah. And yeah. so um, a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are talking about privacy, uh, what it means in the social media era. And, and Facebook's talk, took a big hit. They've lost, you know, in, good, the, in the billions good of dollars. Facebook. <laughs> so I was going to ask both of you, uh, what, what do you, you know, what do you think about privacy? But also, what do you think about Facebook? I know, Cece, you don't use Facebook. You're not yeah. on Facebook at all. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be anywhere near Facebook. Um, I just, for me, it has nothing to do with them co- uh, taking information and collecting. I was off years ago, yeah. but um, it's mostly because I, ha- I got into arguments. Actually, the real reason, honestly, is that I got into arguments and I lost like two good friends. Um, buy stuff we posted on each other's walls and we got into arguments and the arguments went deeper and, and then it became like an off, you know, a private message argument and then it just got really bad and I, I lost, I literally lost two friends, one who was in high school, one who was an adult friend um, from Facebook and I was like, you know what, I don't like this. I don't like this medium. I need to get off. People feel, um, you know, and also people represent themselves to me differently on, on social media than they are in real life. Like I felt like if I saw these people in real life I wouldn't get into arguments like this. Like they we would be cooler we would be like you know but because it was it was a public argument it became like who can clap back hardest yeah, yeah. You know, really who performative can, yeah. right exactly if right. you don't mind me asking were these political arguments they were they yeah. were they were both of the arguments one, one of them yeah and then the other one was semi-political too yes yeah. Yeah. What about you? Are you on Facebook? Do you like it? Do you wish you were off? I am on Facebook and I'm f- fearful that I, I don't even know if I can answer the question of whether I like it. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't like it, but I kind of depend on it. Yeah. Mm. And thus I like it. I don't mm. know. I, I mean, it, it's like I, I, mm. I won't feel like I need it at this point, which of course I don't need, you know, it's not air and water and food. It's Facebook. Yeah. Um, but there is this sense, weirdly for me, it's, helps me keep in touch with older generations Mm, and that is sort of strange to me but like my I I feel like it's kind of lets me be lazy with my life like I I can just be on it and feel like I'm keeping in touch with people when I'm not really but then if I go off you know my mother or, or whoever is like well how would I see baby pictures you know how would I see so it is the sense in which like it's a kind of way to keep in touch but also all this other baggage comes with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so real. And the older generation thing doesn't surprise me at all. Like, when I talk to my students, like, they all think, like, oh, Facebook, that's an old person platform, right? Like, no one's on Facebook anymore. They do think that. They do, yeah. yeah. And I just find, like, you know, post-millennials, Zers or whatever they want to call themselves. Zers! Um, <laughs> generation Z. Yeah, I say, I say this in class yeah. all the time, Generation Z. I feel like they yeah, sort of right. recognize something that millennials really fail to recognize, which is, like, it's not, it should, closed networks 
are much more useful for our modern day than open networks like Facebook. Mm. So things like Snapchat where it's and, right. and WhatsApp and these things where it's yep. just like a curated closed network yep. are much safer than yep. you know, Facebook where Cambridge Analytica is scraping your data. They so are. it makes sense that it's for, you know, you know, your family and, and the older people in your life. Yeah. But I also get mad like what Dora's saying about people people feel feel like this is a way and no yeah. critique on you, Dora, but people feel like they're keeping in touch is exactly what I don't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly, for me is exactly what I don't want in friends. They're yeah. like, they're like, well, how, how do we know what you're doing if you're not on Facebook? Well, there's a thing called a phone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, yeah. there, there is that thing or there's a thing called email or there's a thing called oh, seeing each other in, in person. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. that wild thing. You know what I mean? I mean, for my family, I mean, I try to make trips back. I try to see them. I try to, you know what I mean? And of course we, I don't update them on everything. You have a baby. Mm -hmm. I can understand your mom, you know, baby pictures and stuff like that. But for me, it's just like for friends, it's like if you don't know me interpersonally, if you don't call me, if we don't go get a drink or go somewhere and, mm -hmm. you know, have a girls weekend or whatever, if you think you're going to keep up with me on Facebook and be my friend that way, uh-uh. Mm -hmm. you, you, have, you have another, you have another. I just yeah. don't want to live my life. My friendships are not public, you know, discourse and, and, and the way to keep up is through this medium called Facebook. And I just, and I need, uh, for me, I need to be away from that. Yeah, and maybe we don't need or really have as many friends or connections as we think we do. I've caught yeah. myself saying when somebody says, oh, are you friends with them? I say, no, yes, no. Well, I'm Facebook friends with <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah. Which basically means, no, you're not friends with them. Yeah. Well, you, we talk about I mean, this uh, when we were not. talking about like uh, poets we can work with, poets we can have on the show, poets we can right. do panels with. Poets we know, um, right. Yeah. right. See, we're see, like, oh, I'm friends with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, see, that's like, you know, this person, like, uh, they follow okay. me on Twitter, but right? But like, it does. Like, but, but Anthony, <laughs> right. like, yeah. you Facebook messaged me, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and I felt like I knew you a little bit, partly because of social media. I right. mean, right. Yeah, and exactly. we've, like, obviously met in person before, too, but the. I don't know. It, it does. There's there's something there. There's also one last thing about Facebook. I'm sorry. There's a confusion of, of like the purpose too. Mm, so yeah. for me on Facebook, it's like there's sort of the family Facebook and okay. then there's the work Facebook, like you're saying with poets. But they're and, all you on know, one. But they're all on one. So yeah, that's so, very strange. Right. So how, um, so that you know that there's two, but then how do you navigate that? How do you I don't know. And I'm going to put this out here really personally. Um, again, I love my mother, but she, and she met the chair of my department, David Yezzi, at my wedding, actually. And he's, you know, he's a friend and he's wonderful and I love him, but she'll like, like stuff of his. <laughs> oh no. Because they're, they're Facebook friends. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. am I going to, you know, but is wait. this going to like be in my tenure file? Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's... But how did, how did your, how did your mom and your chair become how she, she must have friended him because oh, she doesn't understand boundaries. <laughs> and I love that about her, but also... Like it's a little bit weird. It yeah. is. Yeah. What if what if she doesn't like? What if she like? I don't know. There's no unlo like put like no, a sad face or the thumbs or down, thumb, like the little thumbs mad, down. The little red mad person. That's <laughs> the thumbs down. She's like, oh, David's doing what? Thumbs down. You know, you're like, mom, don't do that. <laughs> exactly. No. Luckily, she knows no boundaries, but she's also really nice, so that's yeah, okay. But yeah, no, yeah, suppose yeah, yeah. I had, you know. Yes, there are some there's some like pitfalls, there. and that's what I felt like the crossover. Like yeah. I was telling you, my aunt was totally chasing me down to you know to, to make her my, my friend on Facebook, and I was like, no, but I don't want my aunt here because my aunt talks to my mom, and if she sees me, you know, at a raising a glass in some place that looks yeah. like a bar, she's gonna tell my mom, oh, well, I saw Cece at X Y Z. You know what I mean? Like she's out of control. She's out yeah, of control. She's having one glass of wine. That's crazy, you know. But that I didn't like the crossover for me, so that's that was the thing too. Is like. 
I need to be able to keep my lives sort of separate. And I don't know, I don't know that I do that better on Twitter. That's a real, actually, that's a question for myself. I don't know that I do that yeah. better, but I feel like I can. Yeah. yeah. Well, my other social media tend to be, well, at least my Twitter, my Twitter tends to be persona Anthony, right? It's, oh, persona. it's poet, political Anthony, right? It's mostly me retweeting political causes, Poets, yeah, that's true. poet information, right. uh, calls for submissions, those sort of stuff, right? Right, you're right. Um, my Instagram, though, my Instagram is just me, right? Like, dirtbag me. <laughs> um, <laughs> dirtbag me. Yeah, it's just really me. But both and of, Chickpea. Is that and your, Chickpea. And my and dog Chickpea. Chickpea. And is Chickpea. that your Instagram handle? It should dirt be. Dirtbag me. Bag me. That's, dirt really, bag me. that's what this That's what this episode should be called. Dirtbag dirt me. Bag me. I don't know. <laughs> Dora, that's going to be really bad in your tenure file. <laughs> We can tell David that right now. We apologize. This has nothing to do with Dora. We just think it would yeah. be a great title. Dirtbag me. All right. We could talk about Facebook forever, but we are going to have a brief musical interlude, and then we're going to come back with the bang portion yes. of our podcast. All right, and we're back, and today CC has a bang for us. Go ahead, CC. I do, I do. So I've been thinking about this, right? Um, so I like I like bang questions that are kind of uh, a little personal and a little uh, maybe invasive. So here's my question for both of you, and I'm also going to answer, or I can answer first. Um, do you have any embarrassing experiences with writers in the world, and what's your most e embarrassing experience you've ever, ever had with another writer? Right. So this could be uh, a social. It could be a social media exchange, but it could also be a real life exchange. Your most embarrassing moment. You do not have to name the writer. Right? Like I want to say that before I go there. You don't. You don't have to name the person, but I am interested to find out what's your most embarrassing moment with with a writer. I don't know if I have any really good spicy ones. The other time I think of is just like in Baltimore, the writing scene can just be really close. Everyone's going to similar events, maybe drinking at similar places afterwards. So I don't know if I have any really good ones, but I definitely have... Um, a time where you said something wrong. No, for me, I, I'm thinking of um, there was once a reading just down the street from my house, this place that used to be called Gallery 788. And there were a lot of local writers there. Uh, across the range, from grad students to people who've had a few books published. Okay. And afterwards, I was like, oh, hey, I'm right down the street. If a couple of you want to come have drinks, oh. let's do that. Um, and ended up being like most of the people who were at the reading came. Um, and it sort of became this rager at my house down the street. Um, yeah. It, rager? Define it, rager. What? Uh, it, went, it went a little wild. It went a little wild. Uh, people on the front and Copious backyard. amounts of liquor? Yeah. A lot of booze. Yeah. And, and um, nothing terrible happened. I mean, one friend who is a writer um, passed out and stayed the night. But what? Yeah, we took care of him. It's fine. MVD. But for the most part, it was just like a little more... Let's. I'm really downplaying this, but a little more boisterous <laughs> than I am comfortable. Did the police get called? No, nothing okay. like that. Nothing like that. But a little more boisterous and wild than um, public-facing Anthony is comfortable right, with, right? The right, type right, of right, Anthony right. who's in this community and is presenting something. And uh, again, like real life me doesn't present as like too, you know, quote unquote professional or anything. But a little went a little wild. Went a little more wild than I was comfortable. It's funny that with. it turned into more than even what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, I was thinking like. You know, we'll grab a 12 or a few of us will have a beer or two on the porch, right? right? And it became much more than that. So nothing no, nothing terrible, but... I should remember yeah, that. Next yeah. time I'll go to your house if, the, if, if a party's <laughs> happening to find out what the rager is. Yeah. 
So what about you, Dora? Do you uh, have any embarrassing... You do not have to name the writer if, well, if there's a famous person involved. Well, I won't tell them, but I have a bunch of moments where I think the other writer should be embarrassed. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> we could... T- okay. From, a, d- from a slightly earlier era of writers behaving badly, uh, <laughs> oh. you know, that we could talk about. But I'll tell one that, that makes me look bad. Actually, okay. it makes me look really bad, and it's more sad than funny, actually. Oh. And I'm really sorry, but it's the one that just popped into my head. So I was okay. much younger, and I sometimes... Have you guys ever had hysterical? laughter like where it's not a funny moment but you start laughing I don't do that but I have a lot of friends who have told me about that I I sometimes have that uh, and it's not a good trait to have Um, but it's it's hysterical it's sort of uncontrollable so it was with an older writer um, very very, he was very very old um, and I think he actually wasn't well uh, and he was saying he was talking about writers to read and he was talking about Jim Crace's book called Being Dead and a bunch of times he said I just love being dead I love being dead being being oh, dead no. is quite lovely it's quite and at a certain point I just started I could feel it like earthquake up inside of me and yeah, I just started yeah. shaking and I was laughing and I turned it into like sort of a coughing fit laughing and I just looked like a fool I mean I luckily it was just me looking like a fool and not a terrible terrible person but it was it was that history where I was like is he doing this on purpose is he messing with me like mm, how many times yeah. can you say that being dead is great when you know when you're sort of so anyhow rough, I mean that yeah it was game. it was very problematic on my part uh, and I hope to be more composed the next time but I also just like lo- like sort of puns and wordplay things like that so yeah it's I can kind imagine of thing where I can see myself doing that as like sort of dark humor but I do not think that was the intention at the yeah. time I think that's a great story and it takes it all the way back to the beginning of the podcast where we talked about where Anthony was talking about Dora's work and liking wordplay so I think the story actually <laughs> kind of filters into I mean yeah, your poetry to your humor fits, right that's what I'm saying it fits what you do on the page and so no wonder you found it yeah hysterical it's it just like the, it tickled me but also man no I felt I felt really bad oh that's and, but did he say anything to you did he, no did, he, was there any he, he did no. And it was sort of like he was he was speaking to a room and I was in an in the audience and so it was only like the people right around me who sort of thought, What is wrong with this person? She's losing it and you know, it wasn't sort of face to face. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's not that that's Be, not that being dead. Being dead. I will, I will you remember. are gonna love it. Being dead. It's this that might also be the name of this podcast too. Who knows? Who, <laughs> knows? who knows? That's Still a good cut. one. All right, Cece, what do you got? Okay, so my story is um I'm gonna try to shorten it as much as possible. Uh so I have I have at least five stories about this where I've basically put my foot in my mouth. But this one is not me speaking, actually. So I was at AWP. This is years ago. This is even before grad school. I was at AWP. And I was with a mentor friend of mine and three other very big name poets. So my mentor had gotten invited to a hotel room and I, and I got invited kind of like a sidekick. I didn't tell me this yet. Yeah, yeah, this is bad. <laughs> so anyway, we're all in there. Everyone's having a good time talking. They're drinking wine, right? All the all the all the famous people. I'm not going to name any of them, but there there are a lot of them that are in this room, you know, yeah. famous to me, poetry non-known yeah. poet, you know, just kind of freaking out in my brain that I'm sitting here in a hotel room with really great people. And so I'm drinking wine too. So at a certain point, we empty a bottle or maybe I don't know, maybe two. And there's a bottle that needs a corkscrew opener. And so everyone's like, oh, man, we don't have a corkscrew. And I'm like, oh, we have one back in our room. And so they're like, oh, okay. And I was like, I'll just go get it. So I, I you know, run out of the hotel. It's same. I'm in the same hotel as 
you know, blah, blah, blah. So I go down the elevator, go to my room, get the corkscrew, come back up. And it's one of these hotels where there are different hallways. There's like four hallways, two in the front and two in the back. And I totally freak out because I don't know what room, I don't know what hallway, I don't know what room number I was in, right? To make matters even worse, I think to myself, I'd be a smart cookie. And I call downstairs and I say to myself, okay, I can just um, give the name of the room, of the, the name of the person who's, you know, uh, t- who's in whose room it is, yeah. and I can get the number, right? I call downstairs and they're like, we don't have, we don't have Poet X, we don't have a room for Poet X. What had happened yeah. was she took over one of her colleagues' rooms so there was no name on file downstairs for me to call. So I'm standing in the hallway with, with the wine, the corkscrew opener. There are like four big name poets that are sitting in a room waiting for little no one me to come back with the corkscrew opener. And I am standing in a hallway hyperventilating, like literally on the verge of tears because I know everyone, everyone <laughs> like, is sitting this there. This is my moment. <laughs> everyone is sitting there with their empty glasses and they're waiting for Cece to come back with this corkscrew opener. Oh. And so I finally kind of get it together in my head and I say, okay, I know it's this hallway. I don't know what room number. I'm just going to go down this hallway. And I start knocking on doors. Literally, two naked people, half naked people came to the door. One person who was sleeping, all wrong rooms. It took literally like five or six different knocks before I ended up at the very room that I was supposed to be at. And when I got there, I told the hugest lie because everyone was like, man, that was like a half hour. Where did, because they were all waiting to drink and they're all waiting for the corkscrew. And they were like, what happened? And I was like, oh, you know, I, I ran into a friend who needed a favor and I had to go outside <laughs> the hotel and do this favor. It was all a lie. I was, sta- I was standing in the uh... inner section of of the floor looking at hallways for like literally 20 minutes or Aww, maybe 22 that's minutes heartbreaking and freaking out but also it's my <laughs> that's my yeah. story that's my worst story that's that's it i mean you know that yeah my worst time ever with i don't know poets and, and writers i've had i've had a bunch of others but that one was pretty uh it's kind of sad also like what doors so it's kind of it you know the hyperventilation moment like your hysterical laughing moment yeah. like it's also kind of like i was out there freaking out and like on the verge of tears because i couldn't you know bring this 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 wine opener back it's kind of crazy so yeah, that's my story. That's so, a good one. That's a good really one. Good. That's a good I, it's one. interesting you didn't just... And it's so true. It's interesting you just didn't <laughs> tell them. Did just say... Tell who? The people. The people who are waiting for you. I, I couldn't find the room. I forgot the room number or something like that. I mean, I didn't want to lay. Idiot. Yeah, but it's such an endearing story. It's such an endearing story. They would remember... Oh, they probably remember it anyway, but they would remember it. I mean, yeah. they probably would be like, what What person just goes out of a room and doesn't look back, like, for two seconds to be like, oh, that's 3818. You know what I mean? I mean, like, so simple. And I'm also, I should also add, I'm a little dyslexic. That's actually true. Mm-hmm. I'm a little dyslexic yeah. with numbers. So I'm yeah. always, like, reversing, which that's neither here nor there. If I could have just remembered any anything, it would have helped at that moment. But I was also but you were, drinking. But you were a young, like, excited poet, though. So yes, yeah. I was. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be so good. But I was, you know, conversely so bad. Oh, <laughs> It's okay. All right, that's our show for today. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Dora, for Thank coming you, today. Dora. Thank you. Really Thank you. you. This was, was great. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's our show. Thanks so much, listeners from Baltimore. This has been lit. Pop. Bang. Bang.